turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. What are some reasons that would cause you to step back from social media altogether? And later, a pastor in Taiwan used ChatGPT for six months and found it very helpful. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. As always, we're so thrilled that you're with us today. If you've missed any of today's show, we want to invite you to go back, catch up on the podcast, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Be sure to connect with us on something we're about to talk about, social media, at Common Good Talk on Twitter, Facebook, nope, Facebook, and Instagram. It's a Facebook, yep. Yep, Facebook. Uh, maybe we should start a new social media platform called Acebook. Acebook. For people who really like to play cards. I don't know. I'm trying to figure <laughs> out where the Acebook would come from. All right. Uh, Brian, an author I know. She might have even been on the show before. Sarah P. Walton. She posted something on Instagram uh, that I, w- I think you're going to have some feelings about. So I wanted to share it oh, with you. Oh, I'm ready. You're, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Seven reasons I'm stepping back from social media. Here's the first one. Number one, it promotes fear of man over fear of God, giving people and social media giants too much power over our emotions as the man behind the curtain dictates what is valuable in this space. Okay. Okay. There's seven of these. So I'm going to just go through them real quickly and then any standouts we can talk about too. I felt trapped by the false belief that I need social media as a writer and content creator. I feared obscurity more than the toll it takes. Three, I see an increase in this space promoting comparison, clickiness, insecurity, even in maybe especially in Christian circles. Number four, I'm learning that this space benefits those with big platforms work against those who don't, leaving many exhausted by the rat race that they never had a chance with in the first place. Five, I'm increasingly convicted by the truth that time is short, and I'm more and more finding this space isn't worth that cost. Six, my heart is too easily deceived into thinking my motives are to build God's kingdom, but too out too often, it's subtly about building my own. Mm. Seven, I've subtly allowed this medium to have too much power over my focus, time, emotions, and sense of value. And then she ultimately says, this is the part that's kind of funny. I will be posting every once in a while. (laughs) I won't be gone completely, but primarily she's sharing from her website. She says what it is. So uh, she's inviting people to join over there. She's got like 172 people liking it, cheering her on, et cetera. Love to know your thoughts generally, Brian. We've weighed the pros and cons of social media quite a bit. Um, But what are your thoughts about this in particular? Yeah, I'm becoming more convinced that the cons are higher than the pros for me. Like, I think mm. in the end, we over, like, we overemphasize what social media is. Like, even the fact yeah. that she's like, here's the seven reasons. Just get off it or Just stay get on off it. it. Yeah. Just use it for what you want to use it for. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it feels like 
I'm moving towards getting off all of it completely at some mm. point here. Uh, and is it and for any we, of the reasons that she mentioned? So I, the one that I resonated with what she said was, and all of them had some value. Sure. One of the ones that I resonated with there was the time. I don't know yeah. that like, well, time is short. It, social media increasingly for me feels like a time sucker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I rarely am I on it where then I leave it going, oh man, I like really learned or I was edified or I was, that was a positive. Mm. It's usually just a time waster. Mm, totally. And I feel like I need to do a better job. Again, just speaking for myself, I feel like yeah. I need to do a better job at giving my attention to some of the things that matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, social media is what it is. Like, I don't know that it needs like, Here's my seven part theses on what mm -hmm. like I would just want to tell her, okay, if if posting occasionally is good for you, great. Post if occasionally. Being on it all the time is great for you, great. If yeah. you but be I think the the answer is to be thoughtful about it. And yeah. Ask yourself, yeah. what's the point? Like what am I yeah. getting out of this? What's the purpose? And and ask those questions. So the time one for me was the one I most resonated with. What did you think? She especially took uh Took aim at, uh, at her fellow authors. Saying, yeah, that, I, I think that's why it stood to out to me. This. You know, I to be to be frank, I do think authors need to have it if they want to sell books because social media is the new bookstore, and so I think it's it's absolutely fine for her to say, "I don't want to use this medium to sell books." The cost is going to be that she's not going to sell as many books. And that's okay. Like, I think ultimately yeah. that's okay too. Like your goal doesn't have to be, I want to sell the most books and make the most connections on social media and do the work to promote the book. Like, I think she, I think you need to weigh the cost as an author of stepping offline socially. Cause then your audience isn't going to feel like they can connect to you. I do think there's wisdom in having people move to your website. Like we've interviewed authors on here before who've intentionally done that for their own sanity. So, I, I actually think she's right though. Like I don't, I think, uh, the marketing PR publishing world expects an author to have some type of social media right. interaction presence. And if you don't, then they're going to be like, oh, well then how are we going to find your audience? But if she can find her audience through her website, then I think, amen, go for it. Hallelujah. Right. You know what I mean? I'm with you. Like I, I, I'm a little torn with this generally because I think she's giving social media too much power. And and I I post quite a bit. I love engaging with my audience on social media, but I am not on social media all day. Like I have friends who will be like, they are on it all day. They're engaging right. in conversations all day and they do it as part of their work. They do it as part of their platform building and relationship building. I don't. I post in the morning or I post in the evening and then I'm pretty much off of it unless I'm looking for something for the show. Okay. And so I, I think you can use social media as the tool that it is to minister to your audience, to encourage people to share funny things, to do whatever you want to do on it, connect with people, share pics of your kids. But you also don't have to be like inundated by it all day long if you can set some set some boundaries. But I get it. I mean, I guess I here's what I understand. I understand her points. I agree with a lot of them. I understand the tension. And yet I don't think she has to walk away from social media. I think there's a way no. to put it in its proper place in your life. What is one more boundary you wish you had? Like if you were like, all right, I can't, I got to be on it for books. Or yeah. You feel completely comfortable with where you're at right now. 
you know what the one I would do if I if I felt like I could is I would walk away from Facebook and I'm never on Twitter anymore. Every once in a while, I'll like reshare something, but I would only be on Instagram. Like just to have oh. the one in my life, I feel like would be a healthy boundary because then I don't feel the need to be like, oh, and then I have to be over here. And then also, what about be real? Oh, and should I be on TikTok too? And should like I would just be like, nope. I'm on Instagram. I don't care if you think it's going out of style or your people are over here, your people are over here. This is the one platform I'm on. I haven't left Facebook yet, though, because that's where like my book launch is going to be. And that's where things right. are happening. That right. would be a that would be a boundary for me, for sure. Okay. What about for I think you? For me, I think for me, and this is where I might be heading more than like I'm off. Mm-hmm. I've taken all... I've taken Instagram and Facebook apps off my phone, mm. but I haven't taken Twitter off. Yeah. For show stuff, but for yeah. other stuff, I kind yeah. of tend to like look at Twitter mindlessly more than yeah. the others. I think my next move is to get ev- all of them off my phone. Okay, so gotcha. So you have to go, you have to go them, on your computer. Yeah. It takes a little bit more work then to get on social media rather than, to be honest with you, the mindless stuff usually happens on my phone. Um, yeah, you're just, your phone's you're scrolling on. totally. Yeah, so I th- I think that's probably going to be it for me. I think yeah. it's a phone issue. Yeah. All right. Well, very very interesting. Sarah P. Walton stepping away from the Instagram. Coming up next, we're going to talk about a pastor who used a different type of technology uh, and said it was actually really helpful. He mm. used Chat GPT for six months. We're going to talk about what he learned when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Brian, we've talked about using chat GPT as pastors quite a bit. Can we? Should we? When is it okay? When is it not okay? You and I have shared some of our, like, not for sermons, but if you want to organize a meeting schedule, if you want to get your you know, staff team brainstorming about this, X, Y, Z, if you want to communicate something quickly, there are ways to use it, ways certainly not to use it. And we know that some of the critiques of ChatGPT or other AI like it is it lacks physical, emotional, empathetic abilities. It lacks spirituality, obviously, like the Holy Spirit is not in charge of chat GPT. And so there's some caution when using it. Um, But interesting, there's a pastor in Taiwan. He's a young guy and apparently used chat GPT for six months to help him specifically with his pastoral ministry. And here's what he learned. Okay. He is a little more optimistic about it than some people. Are you ready? He says it helped him work smarter, not harder. Listen to this. This might be controversial, but here we go. For many pastors, there is never enough time for sermon preparation. When I was in seminary, one of my classes required students to draw up a schedule of a typical week in a pastor's life. The professor critiqued the schedule I submitted as having too much time for sermon preparation. Oh, wow. After researching, writing a sermon, after dealing with administrative work, additional ministries, etc., he says he did indeed find that time for uh, sermon prep is actually more limited than he expected it to be. Uh, But here's what's interesting is he said, we can assign chat GPT to assist in creating pastoral notes, personal biographies, prayer letters, news reports, basically customizing templates or generating scripts for newer ministers to follow. 
aiding us in our ministry and leaving more time for one-on-one pastoral care and visitation. I, this is a different church model, so I don't totally yeah. understand all of that. But basically, he says this, when I need examples or applications for a sermon, I go to ChatGPT. For example, I can ask ChatGPT to write a story of Jesus riding a motorcycle into town based on scripture. I can add more context and continue to adjust the plot to make my point. I can ask ChatGPT to generate a paraphrase of a scripture passage or write discussion questions for college student ministry, etc. He says, I implemented this, uh, just noting reflections and then inputting them into ChatGPT and having ChatGPT synthesize my thoughts for me. So he is helping, ChatGPT is helping him do sermon outlines and Bible study outlines, essentially. Uh, which is dangerous. Dangerous. I, I suppose I wouldn't say it's out of bounds completely, but I've told you before, I'm not a slippery slope guy, but there's yeah. a slippery slope here. That, yeah. GPT, help me put together this story. Hey, while you're at it, help me put together a sermon. Right. Hey, while you're at it, put together a sermon. And all of a sudden we're, we're relying on chat GPT for our yeah. sermon prep. I just... I want to stay again. If some of these people have the ability to be that structured, I get it, and that's okay. I suppose. I just think, generally speaking, using AI tools for creation of sermon content is is out of bounds. It just feels out of bounds to me. It's kind of interesting. So he said he goes on to say, preaching, be it a preparing a sermon or delivering the words to a congregation, is a process that currently involves a speaker the influence of numerous people living in dead and the Holy spirit. I believe within these actions, there is room for the work of AI too. So this is fascinating. An article that's showing up under this is by Russell Moore, where he said AI might teach, but it cannot preach. So this is interesting. It's like, it seems like this pastor is using AI as like another just voice in his sermon preparation or in his Bible study preparation or something like that. And that's what he means by working smarter, not harder. So less sermon prep time on your own, more relying on chat GPT to write sermons. I am so intrigued by a pastor saying this so boldly online. Yeah. Like publicly, like writing an article about it. Like, cause I think this is very controversial. Tell me why you think it's dangerous. Cause I would agree with you. I think this is a slippery slope. And I, and I, what Russell Moore says is interesting there that there's a difference between teaching and preaching. Yeah. I've always learned it that, um, it's not this black and white, but teachings about information, preachings about inspiration. Uh, so what I hear Russell Moore saying there is you can use chat GPT to help you inform, like to get yeah. more knowledge into whatever. Yeah. Um, it's dangerous, Aubrey, because I know I don't, I don't want to hold it up as like a, a mystical thing, but I think the point of the sermon is that a pastor within a local context yep. uh, spends time in the word, spends time in that context, knowing the people, uh, spends time in prayer and from there flows a sermon that is uh, in his or her voice through that kind of struggle for that congregation. And Chet yeah. GPT doesn't know the context of right. the congregation. Right, right. Doesn't know their loves, doesn't know their pains, doesn't so know Chet, their like myths. Yeah. Go ahead. Chet GPT can give us the background. Hey, give a, help me understand the background of the various 
views on the background of whatever, Second Corinthians 2, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Sure. That's background. I do that now. I put into Google uh, commentaries on Second Corinthians sure. 2 and sure. read it. Like, sure. It's the same thing. But if I put into Google, give me a sermon on Second Corinthians 2, <laughs> I get one, I print it, and I take it up on a Sunday morning. That's A, disingenuous to yeah. say that it came from yeah. my study. My this. Yeah. But B, they don't – like that sermon was not written with my congregation in, in mind. In mind. Well, exactly. And I think that's an important part of preaching. It is the context oh, absolutely. of this congregation. It's why when you go preach at other churches, you ask them, tell yes. me about your church. Yes. Because and I do it every matters. single time. Yep. It matters because I'm an – I. Like you have to tune your sermons to different ears and I'm not going to preach the same message at so-and-so church in Seattle that I am at Renewal Church because it's a right. totally different audience with different narratives and different histories and different cultures and different. And like, that's part of what I do think the Holy Spirit does is help us contextualize. It might be the same biblical text yes, and the same main like points derived from that text, but you're not going to go about it in the same way. This is, listen to this. Tell me what you think about this. He says, I asked chat GPT to summarize and synthesize various Bible commentaries and content from reference books that I feed it to create a rough research or research report on a certain theme. Is that the same thing as going to Google and asking for? No, because that's information. He's trying yeah. to tell me, he's trying to say, what do these different commentaries say this verse means? Yeah. That's different than, yeah. pre than transcribe me a sermon that I could give this Sunday. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. different. It's just yeah. – and I don't know that on my busy weeks when things are going crazy, I don't know that I have it in me not to then go – just this week, Chat right. GPT, help me with this. Right. It's, it's just dangerous. It's just not what the sermon is meant to I almost think you're, if you're going to do it as a pastor, you do it one time as a joke. You go, hey, you guys, this week I thought it'd be so funny to have Chat GPT write a sermon. And you read a paragraph from it and you make everybody laugh. And then you actually like open the text together. Here's what Chat GPT missed that actually the word of God right. is saying. That could be a powerful sermon moment. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah to use it as kind of your. I don't know. I, I wonder if this will change in the next few years, if thinking on this will change in the next few years. But to say you don't have enough time to sermon prep and so you go to chat GPT to write your sermon, there there's some lines there. I, I actually think I'm even maybe okay with, hey, give me a funny story about XYZ. I need some inspo sure. and you go from there. But I don't know. I don't know. Certainly something that we'll have to continue. Uh, continue wrestling with as right. chat G GPT becomes more and more normal. All right, Brian. Um, Jonathan Merritt, little controversial guy. He said something on Instagram that I had so many people share with me like this, really? this, this. And so I want to talk to you about it and get your take. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, check us out on Instagram. We are at Common Good Talk. We share some of our show clips and we love engaging with you there. Speaking of Instagram, Brian, I told you, I almost wished I didn't tell you who, who posted this because right. this person, you know, is a kind of a lightning rod. I think some people love him. Some people hate him. Jonathan Merritt. Uh, he was recently at an, uh, an event with, um, uh, Shauna Nequist and her husband, the uh, pastors, yeah. priests, priests and guides. It was here in Chicago. He was, I think, part of this event as a speaker. I'm guessing not just an attender. 
But he, he, let me just kind of read you what he says. He's posting from a guy named Carl Rahner, who said, the Christian of the future will be a mystic or will not exist at all. Then Jonathan Merritt goes on to say, a decade ago, like so many others, I walked away from Christian fundamentalism and was wooed towards Christian mysticism. This means I'm now less concerned with attaining certainty and more interested in exploring mystery. I'm now less concerned with cognitive knowledge about the divine and more interested in experiential knowledge of the divine. I'm now less concerned with intellectual propositions and more interested in contemplative practices. As I've slowly made these shifts, my faith, which was flatlining 10 years ago, has been resuscitated. I often say I didn't simply trade my conservative faith for a liberal one. Rather, my spirituality shifted from a posture of closedness to openness. I became more open-handed, open-minded, and open-hearted. And then he goes on to talk about this retreat. But then he goes, he says, the late German Jesuit theologian Karl Rahner once predicted the future of Christianity would either be mysticism or nothingness. Everything I'm seeing unfold in the world right now and in my own heart tells me that Rahner was perhaps more right than he knew. I think I told you offline or maybe before uh, in our last conversation that a bunch of people send that to me. Why did they send it to you? Yeah, I think that's the question. I think that's the question. I think they agree with them. I think the people who sent it to me are the ones beginning to embrace more of uh, kind of a Christian mysticism, which I would just call like a spiritual practice based faith, which I actually really, I mean, this is what's strange for me. I feel like I'm, I am in and out. Like I got a foot in a foot out of that. Like I've been with a spiritual director for, uh, five years. I have a new spiritual director now, but I've been in spiritual direction for a long time, which is this like spiritual practice kind of encountering God style of, of, I don't know, ministry experience, faith. I don't even know what you'd call it. And yet I still believe, I mean, I still love learning about God and theology and doctrine. And so I, I don't think I could, I would ever go as far as to say you're a Christian mystic or you're nothing like right. the Christian mystics were St. Julian, uh, St. Julian of Norwich, the desert fathers, um, uh, uh, Teresa of Avila, St. John of the cross, like some of just more of these contemplative people. Yeah. Um, you might even say Augustine was a, was a mystic, uh, just more understanding, like, look, there's mystery. We can't know everything. God is God is God. And so we can't, unpack god it's just interesting me to for jonathan merritt to pose this against like yes you pose it against fundamentalism and yes i i'm not a fan of fundamentalism myself i think there is an invitation for us to encounter god more to practice more of the spiritual practice to experience things that maybe we haven't allowed ourselves to in evangelical christianity to know god intimately and not just know about god so I'm willing to be like, yeah, bro, same. Like I'm with you. Um, but I don't know why there's all. the, yeah, I think that's what it is. I don't know why the, the, I'm trying to figure out why it's, it's like, um, it's not that or nothing. That's what I would say. It's not that or nothing. Yeah. So we're a couple of thoughts as you read this to me, first of all, um, for many people, Christianity has too often been boiled down to just what are the facts? What are yeah. the dogma? What are the. Totally. Things? So I get what he's pushing against. Yeah. 
But that doesn't mean we orig- we remove the facts, the dogma, the the doctrine, the whatever. Yeah, it yes. Feels like he's trying to do. Um, by the by, the it's mysticism or nothing. Right. Um, there's certainly experience plays a huge role in our faith. Like that's important. It always has. Um, some people I would say are more drawn to this kind of thing. Yes, than totally. Some people, their faith grows by reading Lewis or yep. by reading yep. a commentary or whatever yep. else it might be. Uh, the third thing that the other danger I would say is Merritt used the phrase there that I think the danger is in here. He says, speaks to my heart. Yep. I think mysticism is a very easy f- uh, entryway into it's whatever I want it to be. Yeah, totally. Kind of me and God. Yeah. I don't need these boundaries. I don't need denomination or mm. church. I don't need any of this stuff. And I don't know that he is or isn't saying that. But it right. becomes very easy to go, we're going to make this up. Uh, so I don't like what the Bible says about this. I'm going to do away with it. Yeah. And I'm just going to be in union with God. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think this becomes to me – the danger of this becomes it becomes a self-focused what do mm. i want it to be so mm. i want god to love everybody i want god yeah. to accept everybody and it's just yeah. about how do i feel like there are people out there who are more feelers i get it but it's like there's in lies the danger the flip side is uh, there's other people out there who need to spend more time in prayer and 100 solitude and yeah. all of these things but yeah i don't know that i trust that merit with his with that line is on to what's right like what needs to be happening well this is what i think is so fascinating gary thomas has some work out there called the nine sacred pathways and it's a little bit connected to the enneagram interestingly i don't think he ever says that but it's like nine ways we were created to connect with god some people connect with god like my husband he's an outdoorsman when he is in nature hiking in colorado like he worships god because he sees how big god is and how beautiful creation is I may be more of a feeler or drawn to some of these contemplative practices because that's how God made me. Some people are enthusiasts. They want to celebrate God, you know, in a big worship setting. Other people are intellectuals. They, like you said, learn to feel, they, they feel very deeply connected with God when they're reading, when they're learning. Like, so there are different ways I think that God has made us to connect with him. And we certainly need each other and we need to try on these different ways but I, I think to say we're all going to be mystics is probably just not accurate at the end of the day. Some people yeah. will be drawn to that and some people won't. And that's okay. Like God made us all differently to reflect his goodness and his glory and his creativity. Right. And I don't think Merritt's leaving for that possibility by saying yeah. it's, it's mysticism or nothing. Right. Right. Um, it, it seems to be more of an indication of what he wishes it would be. Or yeah. I think, I think there's some truth or what his or, experience has been. Yeah. Right. Yep. All right. Coming up next, have a little fun. We're going to learn some idioms from around the world. You're listening Mm. to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's the end of the day. It's the end of the show. And we like Mm -hmm. to put a smile on your face. So on BuzzFeed, I found these very, this is very entertaining. It's idioms around the world. And most of us, if you're an English speaker in America, you will not know what these are. Okay. No, but uh, no. I'll, sh- I'm going to, I'm going to edit the first one for our listening audience. Okay. 
this is a Yiddish one, and I'm not even going to try to say it in Yiddish, but it basically means go poop in a lake. For the English speaker, that's <laughs> equal to like get lost. <laughs> that's right. That's a good the one. I like one, that one. A saying in, yeah. This next one's a saying in, in Hindi. I, again, will not try to pronounce it, but it translates yes, yes. to turned my brain into yogurt or curled my brain. <laughs> basically means someone or something is driving you crazy <laughs> i love that one i love that one okay uh this one i am also going to edit for our audience in cantonese you say three-legged cat doing kung fu to describe <laughs> someone's half-hearted incompetent efforts <laughs> that's funny a three-legged that's cat. so funny this, okay this one is hilarious this is a finnish idiom Okay. Uh, which translates to this. It's lucky I didn't have scissors, said Grandma, after the knife <laughs> fell in her eye. It what? sort of means to make the best of a bad situation or to look on the bright side. I had to think what? about that. I'm like, oh, I get it. Scissors would have gone into both eyes. <laughs> oh, it's lucky I didn't have scissors. Oh, I get it. Okay. Okay. That one is so funny. That's because so funny. Because I only had a knife. It went into one eye instead of scissors yeah. going into both <laughs> Okay, this is good. Apparently, uh, in Spanish, in Mexico at least, the expression is taco de ojo. It translates to eye taco, which is like equivalent to eye candy for us. So if you're attractive and pleasant, you're an eye taco. Eye taco. <laughs> That's good. That's funny. Uh, it's so edit funny. This, this one. one it's so funny. <laughs> I will edit this one. This one is in Swedish, uh, which means... Uh, you've taken a number two in the blue cupboard, or now you've gone too far. <laughs> the, blue cupboard. I love the, blue cupboard. the blue cupboard specifically. <laughs> taken a number two in the blue cupboard. I'm going to start saying that. That's really good. That's really good. Okay. Uh, this one's interesting. I'm going to see if I can. I, I, I will do a terrible Spanish accent, but I love. Se me olvida in Spanish. Instead of active voice saying, I forgot, it's in passive voice. It was forgotten to me. The English makes it sound like there's intention in forgetting, like I forgot on purpose. The Spanish represents a clearer reality. Sometimes we don't choose to forget things. It just happens. I like that. It was forgotten to me. <laughs> That's good. Uh, this one's French. It's funny. Uh I didn't do well in French in high school, but we yes. pronounced it. Which we'll attempt to say this. I'm happy uh, about the this. The one I use most often, this person says, is je suis dans les patates. <laughs> uh, it is a French Canadian phrase that basically means I screwed up. It comes up a lot in French <laughs> class, but if literally translated, it means I am in the potatoes. <laughs> I am in the potatoes. That's so good. That's like oh, how we say I am in. Again. We say I am in the weeds. That's a good one. Yeah. I am in the potatoes. Uh, okay, there's one in Spanish, which means better alone than in bad company. That's a good one. Uh, let me share one more. This one is okay. Polish. It translates to you're feeling minty towards someone. I feel mint or I feel minty towards somebody. It's like you have a crush on them. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> that's funny. I feel minty towards you. That's funny. These, these are, uh, and a lot of these are, uh, a lot of these are inappropriate <laughs> as you look at them. Some yeah, reason, there's something to be said. Right, uh, right. I like this one. Later on, in Spain, they say they have a phrase for teenagers. They say the teenagers, uh, and then they have this phrase, which literally translates to, to be in the age of the turkey. <laughs> <laughs> 
buy the turkey. <laughs> oh, oh, that's no. funny. Okay, this is good. Oh, this is really good. In German, there is no bad weather, only bad clothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you live in the bad weather. Here's another one they say in German. This this translate to we are not made of sugar for when someone doesn't want to go out until it rains. <laughs> I don't understand. We are not made of sugar. And that's what you say when you don't want to go outside until it rains. No, I'm sorry. You don't want to go out while it rains. So you want to wait until the sun comes out. We're not made of sugar. I don't understand that one, not but okay. Like if someone tells you, hey, we're not made of sugar. You go, okay, let's stay inside. Let's stay in here. So those are funny. Those are good. Oh, man, that's really good. All right. Do you have a favorite idiom that you use in English? I don't even know a good example of one. Do you have some? You know, can I can example? I tell you one that I don't know why, but I just don't like it. it? This is my this is my pet peeve idiom. Sometimes people and I use it, too. People say low hanging fruit. I've used low hanging fruit. I I hate low hanging fruit. That is my like least favorite idiom. Really? I'm yeah. surprised that that gives you any sort of, um, yeah, any sort of uh, like I know. reaction at all. Isn't that weird? The first time I heard it was a couple of years ago. My husband used it, and I was like, "What is that? What do you mean?" And it's just oh, it's just like a weird. It's a strange pet peeve. It's like it grinds my gears. Like no, there's no real reason. It just like bugs me. So an idiom, by the way, some people are not. Uh, they might be like, what is, how would you define yeah. an idiom? Is a group of words in current usage having a meaning that is not deducible from those of the individual words. Uh, <laughs> for example, it's raining cats and dogs. There's nothing uh, about that saying that should make you know what that is. Good point. Uh, or that to say that you're extremely happy, you would you could use the phrase that I'm over the moon. Mm. There's nothing about that phrase to where you go, okay. Yeah, that uh, makes zero my- sense. I'm Do they have any other good English. ones? No, I'm looking up some English idioms right here. Yeah, what are they? Uh, so one of the annoying ones, right, is cry over spilt milk. Yes. Nobody actually cries over I spilt know, milk. I know, yeah, dumb. But here's one that I've never heard before. Ooh, let's Be hear like it. chalk and cheese. You ever heard that before? Never. Be like what does that mean? Cheese? Be absolutely different. So be different. Never heard that before. Fuck and cheese. I am seeing some that I use often. The elephant in the room. I yep. say that often. That's true. That We use that a lot, and we all know what it means, but it really doesn't make any sense on its own. Like, what? Oh, yep. What else? pill to swallow, barking yep. up the wrong tree. Yep. Uh, vanish into thin air. It mm. takes two to tango. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard this one. Like a cat on a hot tin roof. Oh, you have well. That's that's a famous play, but people don't people don't use that phrase very often you as can't an idiot. Relax, idiom. right? Yeah. You can't yeah. relax. So yeah, tie the knot. We were just talking the other day about doing a wedding. Tie the knot. So these are the a leopard can't change his spots. My dad used to say, I don't know if this is an idiom or just like a southern phrase, but my dad would always say, "Man, I'm working harder than a one armed paper hanger." <laughs> <laughs> all right dad sure 
good. So, I feel great. like I learned. Yeah, I feel we like learned. We learned some things about idioms around the world. Let us know your favorite at Common Good Talk. Hey, we'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. <laughs>